Hello, Rantbox TV viewers. We are back again once again after 2020 has left us and we are seemingly still in 2020, though apparently by calendars it's 2021. I'm joined by Nishant Joshi. How are you, man? Are you doing good? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks, John. Uh, happy New Year, I guess. I mean, we're recording this mid-January. I think that's probably too late. Okay, I'll, I'll wish in that Happy New Year. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you based on the conversation that you had with Luke from Falseheads in a, a podcast that you guys run, um, which is called One Conversation. Am I right in the title? One Conversation from the End of the World. Yes. <laughs> I like the dramatic pause there. Um, but essentially, there was an aspect... Sorry, I thought you glitched out there. You, you just completely froze. Oh, no, I was just <laughs> I was like, Your connection's <laughs> got glitchy, John. <laughs> that, that may indeed happen. Um, but yeah, you were talking in an episode um, about your experience of being at a gig and being the only brown face at the gig. Um, and I wanted to talk more about that because obviously there's only so much you can get out in um, the format that you guys have because you're going across many different subjects. It's quite miscellaneous. Um, and yeah, let's let's start off with one of, one of the strange experiences that um, I've heard um, is that you could actually change your name to something more anglicised when trying to approach promoters about putting on gigs for your band, The Palpitations. Do you want to take us through that a bit? Yeah, so, certainly after a, a certain point of, of trying to pitch my band into The Palpitations to, to different people, and I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of emails to, to, to lots and lots of different promoters, Engl England and around Europe as well. Um, I realised that I, I was getting a I mean, I understand that my hit rate is going to be relatively low as as a, as a as a musician. Anyway, it is going to be low. That's fine. But that's I found that it was much lower than what I could even account for. Um, and then I started using just uh, my email address is deliberately n at the palpitations live, so that people it it, it can be like sort of maneuvered um, wherever I need it to be. Um, but after I started using, for example, signing off as N or Neil, for example, I was getting responses saying, hey, Neil, oh, I like your songs, I like your songs. I was like, this is a bit weird. And it, it was just, it was really telling because it's not the first time that it's happened to me in my, in, in my career. I mean, I didn't think that it would have to happen in, in music, but um, it has done. But I think there are lots of studies showing that, for example, applications from people with ethnic sounding names um, tend to get turned out on uh, at higher rates than white names in, in, in Western countries. So it's, it's definitely a problem and it's not an isolated thing. It's just, it's, it seemed like, like, well, I had to experience it. I, I, not for the first time in my life, to be honest. Sure, sure. And again, like, thank you so much for giving us your time. Cause I mean, the viewers can probably pick up on the fact that you are a dad and you've also got like a medical career and you're in the band you know um yeah like thank you so much for spending this time with us um can i ask not at all sorry what was that not at all not at all my pleasure can I forgive, I forgive 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 our listeners if i keep on maneuvering my little baby around 
a little bit here and there. So, I appreciate your multitasking you. abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you do, you, do you feel that because of what happened last year in terms of the conversation on race, um, that arguably you don't necessarily have to affect an anglicised um, first name anymore? Do you feel that you have that as a, a bargaining tool because promoters will in some way want to be performative about what it is that they're doing in terms of that conversation? Or do you think that it's mute? I think it, it, it's difficult to predict how, how people are going to be. Obviously, there's going to be as much competition as there's, there's ever been. Um, and I do think that festivals are probably going to move towards being performative in that sort of way as well and saying, we're going to have a, 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 a diverse lineup as, as ever. Um, although these pledges seem to have been going on for, for years, and I'm not sure how much of it has actually filtered down um, into better visibility. Um, at the same time, I'm, it's it's not like we're 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 an ethnic band or anything like that. We're, we're a rock band, just happen to have a, a brown person in it, right? So it's it's not like a major descriptor when it comes to describing our, our band. There are lots lots more interesting things um, than just having a brown person. And at the same time, I appreciate the importance of visibility. Ultimately, you can't be what you can't see. Um, and so I, I do think that to to have a more equitable society, ultimately, and I don't, I'm not talking about just music generally, but society as a whole, you have to have tailored tools and tailored resources to, to societies and, and, and parts of, of communities which, which may not have, for example, had um uh, a, a musician of of indian origin is playing on stage i mean the, i've i just haven't seen a, a, a musician of indian origin playing bass in a rock band before um it, it, like i i get out in in the crowd and i mosh with them for like i'll set closer well that feels a long time ago but i mean it, <laughs> we're allowed to be in crowds at all but um yeah, I, I think ultimately to increase that visibility and, and to actually show other people that things are possible um, and that especially from Asian backgrounds, we're typically put into boxes of, oh, you must be a doctor, you must be a lawyer. Okay, fair enough. You got me on one of those, fine. But um, we can also be multi-talented, have lots of different aspects. Sure. Um, a little bit of rant box trivia. There is um, <laughs> another uh, South Asian descent person who plays bass who's been on the channel. So you may want to check out Primitive Ignorance. So you're, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if, if I don't, and this is, this is part of a, a little argument that I had on, on Twitter with, with Bobby Friction, who, who is the, the BBC Asian Network um, DJ. Um, of a few months ago, and I, I, I was saying, well, and if I don't know that there are other Indian bassists or other Indian guitarists, you can't really be claiming to 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 put us be putting us on a pedestal or anything like that. Um, so if, if I don't know, then how's the next how's the next person supposed to know if I'm actively looking for these people and and I can't see them? Yeah, yeah. I think there's um, questions for for you and for myself as to what networks we were deciding were the works to basically um, hang out in and learn from and form friendships in 
um, when this whole thing blew up last year, I was far more aware of different promoters who would actually be putting diversity on their um, on them on their actual like to do lists before everything kicked off. And yeah. like, you know, why why didn't I know about them before? Why didn't you know about them before? Exactly, exactly, and and that's because the the game is rigged to some extent. It always has been and it always will be. Um, all we can do and all these sorts of conversations can do is, is try to, to dampen the effects for, for the next generation, really. And I, I'm lucky, for example, we've got a brilliant manager, um, Melanie, um, who, who takes care of us. And she's, she's very much aware of, of all these issues. Um, and ultimately, we want to, to be contributing to a society which is equitable. So like I said, developing those custom tools so that communities and societies can, can actually thrive. Sure, sure. Did you, um, by any chance, um, check out the book uh, Natives by Okala? I don't know if you've heard of it. I, yes, I, 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 I bought it for my wife for, for, for Christmas, actually. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> but I, I'm a big fan of him. I really like I would definitely recommend it um, and when you do you know get a chance to read it let me know because I definitely want to do a video about it but it does cover how a lot of his formative experiences he was able to truly understand what's going on because his mother was trying to for want of a better word equip him for what society would tell him yeah. he was going to be um, so Bearing that in mind, um, kind of throwing it back into something that we spoke about earlier off camera. Um, when, you know, first generation immigrants come over here and mm. they want to basically forge a pathway for their sons and daughters, the last thing they're thinking of is that they'll have someone who wants to play bass guitar in a loud rock band. Um, can you tell me more about your experiences in terms of how you were equipped to deal with racism in the context of, well, uh, the world of music so i mean I, again i i think I, I was never really brought up with these with these brown figures in rock music and that's i think that was a major driving factor as well and i think that the people who i speak to now for example promoters and and fellow bands they don't see brown people either and 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 for example fans who come and see me as well um i, I I can tell sometimes that they're just looking at each other. You know the look, John. You know the look. I know the look. I'm prepared to actually be, when I see the look happening, I have my own look back, which is just, everything's fine. <laughs> what's what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> why, so, why are you suddenly looking at me? <laughs> I, I mean, for those listeners who don't know the look, the, the look is when two white people are talking about you. And you know they're not talking about how well you're playing bass or like or, or, or the, the nice shoes that you're wearing. They're talking about something else. Um, <laughs> I didn't know brown people can play guitar. You know, it's it's and, and it happens. It happens. But I think it's just again, it boils down to a lack of visibility. I can't say that I had any tools to equip myself with with uh, to to be equipped for dealing with racism on on from a music point of view. But I certainly think I was equipped tools like i was well well prepared for society for society to be racist um from a very very young age wow well i i mean there's so much to pick apart there because 
for one thing, you'll get a lot out of natives simply because when you talk about the look, I'm sure there's a part of you that thinks some people aren't going to really understand this. They're going to yeah. think I'm basically paranoid. And I've had that thought, and I think every other black person's had that thought, especially if they work within a medium or entertainment industry, which is predominantly Caucasian. That book, Natives, oh. it's just yeah. good to see it in print that someone's actually been able to, to weave together all the different aspects of empire going wrong and how it lends yeah. itself to the diaspora. So that's another good reason to read it. Um, another thing um, would be when you are, say, dealing with people at a gig that don't understand you and they don't necessarily know why you're there, it gives them the ability to obviously usurp your actual agency. And we talked about this off camera. I mean, do you think that that's changed because of what happened last year? Or I certainly think that well i hope that people's attitudes will, will have changed a little bit more and i think it i think there's just a, a chronic dehumanization of of non-white voices and non-white faces in like throughout the world really but i i think the the george floyd incident and all the subsequent fallout from from that uh, brought it really into sharp focus and the pandemic meant that that people couldn't really take their eyes off um, the problem, whereas, I mean, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, we would have had, for example, Euro 2020, that would have taken over a lot of headlines. We would have lots of other things taking over. So on a, on a normal day, actually, the sad fact is George Floyd's death had to happen during a pandemic where people were locked inside for people to actually take note. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't the first black guy to to die at the hands of police. It wasn't the first. Yeah. The world was on pause. We had a moment to actually assess what the world was and then not be able to get away from it, for sure. Yeah. Um, can we give people context in regards to what I mentioned briefly about that instant at a gig that you had? Um, can you tell us a bit more about it and then we can extrapolate from that what may or may not take place the next time you are at a gig because of what happened? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I believe it was it was it was last February, so February two thousand twenty, where when myself and my wife went to to watch a band called Dry Cleaning, who fantastic band, um, indie band, really really original. We absolutely love them, and it was one of those gigs where I mean, usually I have to drive my wife along to gigs, and she she enjoys them, but sometimes she's just like she gives me her own look, and she's like, okay, well, it's getting late, you know, she did gives me the yawn and she just starts to look well, whatever fair enough um and back then she was about five months pregnant as well so she had more of an excuse to be fair so dry cleaning was one of those gigs where she actually said i want to go to this one so we like made really big plans saturday night had a great time and then not unusual like the the that part of of the country to go to a gig and be the only non-white people there and and as far as i could tell we were pretty much the only non-white people there fine fair enough and then um there was some i was in the front row and there were some some people behind me some young guys who, who, who were basically just just horse playing and, and just harassing me basically during the gig which i was trying to enjoy so um it was mm, I felt like I didn't really have any agency to, to kind of cause a fuss. I just didn't want to cause a fuss. I'd say that as my, my daughter's trying to cause a fuss now. So. 
hello. But yeah, but that's that's why we're doing this. We're doing this so so that my daughter ultimately doesn't have to face the same sort of barriers that that I I've been facing, or the same sort of harassment, so that she can she can go to a gig and not think actually, you know what, I have to look out for myself in a, in a way that other people don't. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we did liken the idea of people actually saying on your behalf that this shouldn't actually happen. It's very much like how if you see a guy abusing a, a lady at a gig, that, hey, what are you doing? You know, stop this from happening. Not that she can't stand up for herself, but having other people actually be aware of it and it being a social norm is yeah. hopefully that, you know, will change in regards to, say, being a minority at a gig. You know? Absolutely. And it certainly means that I've, I've this whole episode um well the whole of the last year for many different reasons certainly made me reflect on my own behavior just in general and making sure that we we don't just class ourselves as innocent bystanders when we see something bad happen we have to speak up and in part that was because i, I spoke up about for example to start off with the, the ppe issues and my wife started off talking about issues of pregnant pregnant women being exposed to, to coronavirus as well when we realized that we couldn't just sit and, and be innocent bystanders. Sure, sure. I feel that um, at this point, because of what we do on Rampbox TV is kind of more issue driven than personality driven. Um, we've got to that point, I think, in the episode where people who aren't aware of what you've been up to and the, the level of, for want of a better word, fame you've had, um, it'd be good for them to know a bit more about what you've actually had to well, to fight against last year and what kind of um, results have come out of that. So who are you, Nishan? Tell us everything. <laughs> um, if you just bear with me one second. Yeah, sure, man. It's become a Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. I'm just very happy that you can uh, multitask your way through uh, this um, very necessary conversation. So I, I was one of the, the first doctors, might have been the first, who, who actually broke ranks back in, in early March 2020 and I was working in a at my hospital and I, I knew that what was happening was just going to lead to an absolute disaster, um, especially in terms of uh, protection for the doctors, for everybody who's working in the NHS as well, um, so that we weren't protected. I mean, it seems crazy to say now, but we, we didn't have surgical masks when we were just walking around a &E and I said, well, if somebody coughs on me, we know that this can be transmitted by a cough. Why are we not being protected when we've seen this happen all over the world? Um, so that brought things into sharp focus. And then I was, um, I, I, I gained a level of notoriety for a few weeks, which was quickly overshadowed by my wife protesting outside Dining Street for the safety of pregnant healthcare workers. So since then, I've just been holding her bags at virtual events. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and obviously people who are aware of that, who may not know the, the latest in regards to how that's all turned out. I mean, where are you at, at the moment with the legal process? Um, so we completed our, our case for judicial review uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so that was covered extensively by, by lots of different media, BBC and, and good folk there. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased to say that we, we made some, some really promising positive steps towards protecting doctors and, and all healthcare workers and particularly uh, one of the aspects that we were looking at is, is looking at uh, members of the BAME Society and why we are 
worse affected um, by certain healthcare outcomes and particularly BAME healthcare workers because we know that <laughs> BAME healthcare workers um, make up, I think, about 20 or 30 percent of the NHS workforce. But um, we know that right now, I think it's between about 50 and 60 percent of all healthcare workers have, who have died have been from BAME background. So, so why is that? And ultimately, we're able to hold a lot of people to uh, to account over that. Um, and I recall one meeting where we described the NHS and, and Public Health England as, as being institutionally racist. And I still remember the faces of, of the people who, who we were speaking to. And they, I, I think the, the jaws really hit the floor when they heard us say that with such clarity and with such, such force as well. Because they're clearly just not being told that before. And if they had read it somewhere before in an opinion piece, it was easier to gloss over. This in a face-to-face -face sort of thing, even happening over Zoom, it, it, it certainly felt like it was a, a, a lot more real than, than, it, than it had been before. Sure. Was there any pushback when it came to that, um, for want of a better word, accusation? Um, no, there, there wasn't any pushback. Um, I, I think it, in, in reality, what happened was, I think that those institutions, both NHS and, and Public Health England, were able to, to, to understand that this is, this is a first-hand lived experience. Um, they can't really deny that, especially when I, I think by that stage as well. Okay. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had, we, we, we earned a lot of, of credit in the bank. We, we, we did the hard work. We put our necks out and, and we see not every single person who makes a, a fuss out of things or, or tries to make changes is immediately um, immediately has uh, somebody put their arm around them and say, you know what, we, we completely agree with you. You're, you're great. Go on the cover of Vogue. That's it. Um, the whole thing took, a, a, it was a long and painful process to get to that stage. Just bear with me a, a second, Dan. Let me, let me. That's I'm, all so, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know this is affecting audio. And that sort of stuff. No, it's fine. It's actually not, you know, it's not actually that bad at all. I can hear you quite clearly over the top of things. <laughs> Well, she's she's gonna want attention and I, I can't blame her. Like fair enough. <laughs> oh hey, hey, hey. Yeah. good mood, good mood, good mood. In, in closing <laughs> in closing, can you tell us a tiny bit about your band and also about the podcast that you and Luke from False Heads put together on a weekly basis. <laughs> Let me just <laughs> If you want to tell us a bit about the palpitations and uh so uh yeah my, my band the palpitations we've been going for a good few years now we released our our first EP last year which was called Feed the Poor, Eat the Rich. It was based on a quote uh, a French quotation um which went along the lines of when the poor have nothing less left to eat 
they will eat with the rich. And I think everything which has gone from, <laughs> gone from the last few months has just been, like, that's my response to everything from now on. It's like government PPE corruption. Feed the poor, eat the rich. Preschool <laughs> meals, fuck-ups. Feed the poor, eat the rich. And it just shows, it just highlights the, the inequity within our society, everything that's happened in the last year or so. Um, and I keep on using that this word equity, inequity. And I realize that not enough people um, quite grasp the, the concept uh, and the difference between equity and equality. And so, I mean, just to, to, to build on, on that, because um, it is, is basically the theme of, of what we're discussing always, isn't it, John? Yeah. How to make things fairer. Um, and it keeps going, going to this concept saying, well, in some places in, in the country, you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to have lots and lots of apple trees, let's say. In there, the fruit will be plentiful, the food will be plentiful, people will be happy. Other places, those apple trees might be, those, the branches where the apples might be hanging from might be really high. So there'll still be fruit there, but to create equity, how about we, we find these custom tools to allow people to access those apples? It's not saying that we're going to give one, one group more apples than the other group. It's actually saying, okay, well, how about we, this group maybe doesn't need a ladder to get their apples. How about we give an, a, a ladder to, to, to these guys, right? Yeah. So that's, that's really the, the concept. Um, behind everything that I'm trying to fight for, along with my, my wife as well. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that, I mean, we, we talk about you can't be what you can't see. We were, we, my daughter's got happy now, which is, um, uh, we talk about you can't be what you can't see. And so that, that's why I, I think our campaign has been so important over the last few months as well. I mean, I mentioned my wife, I mean, she, she was the first, uh, uh, doctor to, to be featured on the cover of Vogue a few months ago. She was featured in the same issue as, as the likes of Marcus Rashford and, and she was filmed there and um, pictured there in her, her Indian sari when she was I think a couple of weeks before she gave birth. Um, so that was a really iconic moment for, for Indian society and in, Indian culture as well. And the other thing that's happened recently as well is that we've been honoured by by the FA Football Association. So we're part of, of Team England's 23-man squad. I think it's 24 with the two of us, <laughs> but we share one shirt officially. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, and other people are in that team, are people like Joe Witts and, and uh, Captain Tom, who, who really made a great deal of change throughout the pandemic. So to have a, 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 an Indian doctor couple as part of that squad to bring some mainstream appreciation of of what we've gone through and, and it, again pointing down to that you can't be what you can't see um it's i think that's really really important um but yes you look you you mentioned the, the band and yeah the band has been the one thing that's been getting me through lockdown and just the knowledge that we're, we're due to meet up very soon as soon as 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 practical to be fair to to um, to finish recording our next batch of singles, which are are, are going to be absolutely epic. Um, so we've got three more singles on the go, um, and I'm really really excited, really excited. Um, it's the sort of thing where we've got we've got kind of the rough demos through, 
we've probably done 50 percent of the recording so far and between the four of us uh in the band we we just can't stop listening to to those demos and, and what we've done so far because we really really enjoyed the process and I've, i really think that some of the songs that we've done are just such a good backdrop for for this national simmering grief and outrage which which everybody seems to be experiencing if you're not experiencing grief you're experiencing outrage and if you're not experiencing any of those two then then you're in in the cabinet basically <laughs> well says i'm really really happy for you in regards to new material i'll put a link to um your latest dp in the description box before we go if we want to say something very quick about the podcast that you and luke put together then we'll let you get back to your daughter who I think, I think being a dad when when the mums just just popped out is is definitely one one of the great challenges in in life for sure. Not having breasts is 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 a huge disadvantage at this stage. Um, so, she's singing to herself at least, which which is which is good. So um, our, our podcast is is called One Conversation from the End of the World. Um, I started along with with my good friend Luke Griffiths from the band False Heads, um, who endured a really difficult 2020 because that was supposed to be their breakout year, supposed to go to South by Southwest and and tour Europe, go over the world, and it was just it was a really devastating sort of traumatic year and what should have been a triumphant year, as, as it was supposed to be for so many um, throughout the country and so many throughout the world as well. Um, and we we always been good mates, and I was being a fan of band of false heads as well and the more we got talking during lockdown the more we realized that we we just, just thought well shouldn't we record one of these so we 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 talk about things which we try and disagree with as, as well we myself and luke disagree on a lot of stuff so hopefully that that adds some some context to to, to the podcast Awesome. Thank you so much. Like, I, I feel so guilty now that the, the only time you can actually speak to me is when it's really father-daughter time. So I'm going to let you go. I'm hoping that you had a, a really um, a good time talking to me, and I'm hoping people really do get a good time out of the conversational uh, subject matter that we've covered. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for talking to me, man. <laughs> thank, you so, no, thank you so much for having me, John. No worries. apologies if, if the audio mixes. It has a few squeals and screams. It's rock and roll, man. It's all good. <laughs>